Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. First up, Will's Console Mods is now selling an internal Bluetooth kit for original PlayStation 1 consoles. This is based off of Darth Cloud's Blue Retro platform, so if you want to pair something like a PS5 controller, you would end up with less than half a frame of latency, which is pretty awesome, and probably more than enough for almost everybody. If you're not a speedrunner or competitive gamer at the highest level, then you're probably never going to notice half a frame of latency. So this is awesome for people who mostly want to use wireless controllers, um, on one console. Obviously, if you have a bunch of different PlayStation consoles, then the uh, Uno Retro, the, the external dongle ones that plugged into the controller port would probably be a better choice, but I love that there are choices now. So this is awesome for an internal mod. Now, this doesn't take any features away. It only adds features. So this will not affect the functionality of your original controller ports. It's not like you're disabling that in place of, which is always awesome. So if you'd like more details, definitely check out the post. Uh, the price is about 40 euro plus shipping and they're in stock right now. So if you're interested, you might want to jump on it. The game Portal was ported to the Nintendo 64, but as you might expect, anytime the big N is involved, it got taken down. However, it's still really impressive and definitely worth reading up about. Alex has a short post that kind of summarized everything from why it got taken down to the original Modern Vintage Gamer video that came out about a month or a couple months ago that dug into the detail of the game and showed you examples of it. But it looks like some of the code used to make it was used with some of Nintendo's proprietary development libraries, so of course they had to take it down. And, you know, stuff like this, I always completely understand. You know, if Nintendo lets one person slide, why not let the rest? And it's not like they're going after any kind of legal issues or anything. It's not like the developer, James Lambert, is getting their house taken away because they released a port of Portal to a many years dead console now. So I get it. They have to take these things down. They have to follow up. But Anybody who's got creative with their search engine or web search engines, I'm sure could find it and still be able to try it out. So if you want more info, check out Alex's post, as well as the videos embedded in here that could kind of tell the whole story start to finish if you'd like to. But it looked really impressive. It was very cool. And I'm pretty sure there's no getting rid of it. It's still just floating around there for the moment. 
Next up, the very obscure console, the Casio Loopy, just got a ROM cart called the Floopy Drive. This was developed by Roger Bronstein, and it sold out pretty much right away because Roger didn't really think that many people would be interested in this. So there's already a waitlist open and another batch is being made. So as long as you join the waitlist, you should be able to get one, you know, all. 30 people in the world that probably own one of these consoles. However, this is awesome. I love the ability to experience weird and different game consoles. And while there are a couple of emulators that are recently made available for it, if you have the ability to play on original hardware, that's always part of the experience for stuff like this. So if you own a Loopy, unless you own every single game on the platform, I would absolutely pick this up. But it does open the door for homebrew and patches. And there's even a pretty odd-sounding game called Wanwan that Roger has already started translating and plans on attempting a patch for it. So now that's already opened the door for a small homebrew scene for the Casio Loopy. So if you want more info on it, please check out the post from The Girl Geek, which also includes a little intro video and an interview with Roger, the developer of the cart. So this one's kind of fun for Loopy owners, and uh, it's always great to see weird stuff like this out there. Greg from LaserBear is now selling a 3D printed case for the Memcard Pro 2. Now, the Memcard Pro 2 is the sequel to the Memcard Pro, which works on both original PlayStations and the PlayStation 2. It also has been getting a ton of amazing firmware updates and features, which I'll talk about at a time very shortly in the future, but an absolutely amazing product that if you own a PlayStation 1 and 2, you should seriously consider picking up. However, if you plan on taking it between friends' houses or just not always leaving it in your console, you might want a fun way to protect it, and that's what this post is about, the 3D printed case for it. It kind of looks like an old school flip phone. It's got tiny little magnets in the top and bottom, so when you close it, it'll stick shut and you don't have to worry about it popping open. And it's just a very typical laser bear quality product. So if you want one of the clamshell cases, it's $15 and the Memcard Pro 2 is only $44. So uh, you should probably be able to pick up both if you're going to be able to move it around. So keep them coming, Greg. I love the stuff like this. It's all, all the weird and fun stuff I like picking up. Next up, Mike Chi just posted a new firmware update for the RetroTINK 4K that adds the auto crop feature to any of the HDMI input sources. So to back up for a second, the auto crop feature is where you could just aim your remote at your RetroTINK and hit the AUX1 button. Now, yeah, you could go through the menu if you wanted, but you don't even need to. You don't even need to open the menu, just press one button on the remote. And up until now, it would scale any analog source vertically to fill the screen. But with this update, it'll work with HDMI sources as well. So that means games like Star Fox, you get into the gameplay mode, you press the button, and it scales it vertically, which can't even be done on a CRT. So that's kind of an awesome feature. But let's say you back out of Star Fox, and now you want to play Super Mario World, it's scaled too much. So you just press the AUX1 button again, and it rescales it. So this is a really cool feature, and it's such a time saver. And while, yeah, I'll probably still use a 10x sharp custom profile for any of my favorite games, if I'm just kind of killing time for a little bit, this is definitely a very fun way. And it still retains its uh, sharpness from the bilinear sharp scaling that's used. I mean, you could obviously set it to whatever you want. I'm just saying, if you're going for a retro look, you don't have to worry about it smoothing out or anything like that. Now, at the same time, Sorg also updated the main Mr. Code to allow core developers to send metadata through the HDMI port to tell the Tink what signal is being sent and have it 
auto crop. I posted a short video, it's like 30 seconds long on social media and on YouTube shorts, if anybody wants to see it. But if developers feel like updating their cores, then this will all happen automatically and you don't need to do anything. Um, somebody just edited the SNES core and I was able to just do a very quick demo with that. But you know, this is one of those things where it would be very cool if the Mr. Developers were able to get around doing this, but just the fact that you could set your Mr. to direct video mode and use this feature with just the aux one button is really, really awesome. And it kind of just shows another reason why if you already own a RetroTink 4K, you might want to consider using your Mr. through it. And yeah, I, I know there's all the people out there that's like, the Mr. Scaler is better than anything you'd ever need. And, you know, you can't see a difference. That one really pisses me off. Some people telling other people they can't see the difference. I see that all the time across all social media. No one who's owned one of these has said that. I promise you that because you can see the difference in the right scenario. If you're using a a 27-inch crappy 4K LCD monitor that's beat up, you probably can't. But if you're using a nice 4K OLED, yeah, you're definitely going to be able to see the difference. And running it in direct video mode allows the mister to send the original resolution of the games and consoles and allow the Tink 4K to do the scaling for it. So while you probably could just leave the Tink in 1080, or leave the mister in 1080p mode and do this, this does allow for things like having more accurate CRT filters, and the two products together really are a perfect match for each other, honestly. So I'm not telling everybody if you own a 4K TV, you have to buy a Tink 4K to use your mister. Uh, I, the scaler in the mister is really impressive, and a lot of hard work went into making it that awesome. And I truly think if you set it to 1080p 5x overscan for most games, it'll look amazing on your 4K TV. But if you already own a Tink 4K, put them together, use the, the pure digital out of direct video mode into the HDMI input and just watch what happens. And you will be impressed once again in the right scenarios. So this is just one step closer to making these things even easier to access. So you check out the post if you want a little bit more info. Definitely check um, the very short video just to show what could happen if core devs feel like adding this. But even if they don't, that's cool too because that aux one button works perfectly and I strongly recommend you giving it a try. Next up, the OSSC Pro and Classic both got firmware updates. I'll start with the Pro. That got an update that fixes the GBI presets, adds a 4x3 2160 preset option, supports the same direct video mode that I just talked about for the RetroTINK, which should also work with PixelFX products. So if you're able to get the, um, the cheaper version of the gem, you could just use the OSSC Pro to do the scaling now, and the DV1 mode will just send the original resolutions through, which is very cool. That's a very great way to save money and, and use a, scale, a dedicated scaler for that rather than what's built in. So that's pretty cool. And also there's sync processing fixes for things like the Taito F3. So if you're having issues with that, that should be fixed. And there's also sync processing and some preset improvements to the OSSC Classic. But just a reminder that if you want any of the 1.0 firmware updates, you're going to need to do that hardware mod to the original OSSC or get the latest motherboard revision. And I just want to end this with a polite but firm opinion on that. You know, I heard a few people complaining like, oh, I got to mod my OSSC to get the other, the newer updates. Yeah, first and foremost, Marcus could have stopped supporting this product a long time ago, but instead he saw an opportunity to add even more functionality just by making a small change. And he decided to do that. So I 
think the opposite of that. I think it's amazing that Marcus continues to add features that were never thought to be possible, but also you probably don't need it. If you don't have any sync issues with your current OSSE-based setup, you don't need the firmware update anyway. I mean that with love, obviously. So uh, I am a, a huge fan and very appreciative of stuff like this. I, I just, I think it's amazing that Marcus keeps supporting such an older product, even when newer products are out. So thank you, Marcus. Really, really appreciated. And if you've already done the mod to your OSSE, you might as well just get the firmware update. And if not, and you don't need the feature listed, don't bother and, you know, just use the already awesome OSSC the way it is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. There's been some updates and a new pre-order opening for the vertical Tate mode shmup for the Neo Geo called Project Neon. This is a brand new game, and I believe pre-orders were already open a couple years ago for it, um, certainly a while ago, but it is finally entering production. And it's not only entering production, it's had PCB design with help from Furtech, Renee of DB Electronics, and Jeff Kurtz of NeoBits, so you don't have to worry about voltage issues or anything like that. And there's even save game support thanks to Brian Hargrove, Neo Turf Master. So... Um, this seems like a very awesome game. I'm interested in checking it out. Pre-orders will reopen this Sunday, January 21st at 8 a.m. GST. I never know what the time zones is. That's why I always put New York City time, because anybody could open up their phone and look up what time it is in New York City. So look up GST, 8 a.m. GST, if you want to pre-order this one. And, you know, Todd's got uh, some more info in here, some screenshots if you're interested. But this just looks awesome. And I did hear a couple of people say things like, well, why would you want a vertical game on a Neo Geo? Because all Neo Geo cabs are horizontal. Yeah, but not everybody has an original big red Neo Geo cab. I personally have a consumer CRT I've sat on its side that I use for stuff like this that I think is amazing. And I would love to grab the Neo Geo that uh, Phone Dork sent me, the silver box back there. I'd love to take that out and play a game like this and just, just kind of have a new vertical shmup experience but on the Neo Geo. I personally think it's awesome, but you're obviously all welcome to your own opinions, but I'm definitely going to be looking into this. And uh, hopefully... Um, they'll hit the production estimate of shipping in March or April of this year. Obviously, making stuff is hard, especially around this time of the year. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, I would hope for summertime, to be honest. But if they hit that goal, awesome. And I'm really interested to see how the game turns out. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As usual, I'm going to skim through these quickly. And if you want more info or visual examples, please check out Lou's video. First up, for uh, the Sega Gremlin Core, the game Carnival is out for testing, and it looks like everything's working well. 
There's more games that run in that hardware, but the developer Jimmy Stones tells us that only Pulsar and Invinco has been has sound, but Invinco is crashing after you complete the first stage. So still some more work to work to go on that one. Uh, next up, as we talked about last week, that project, the SNES Tang, the $20 FPGA board running in SNES, um, had posted about how the SNES was ported over to it, which is a really good read for anybody who's interested in, in FPGA development. And they're hoping to get it working in a, exactly as I hoped, in a way where maybe somebody could make just an FPGA SNES, which I, I really hope so. Even if it runs at 480p, who cares? If it's accurate, lag-free, nice and sharp, we could always figure out scaling uh, elsewhere. Next up, Wizzo's opened up his Discord server to the public, not just Patreon subscribers, so join it if you want to discuss any of the projects that he's working on. Next, Pierco's back to working on the FM7 FPGA core, so uh, that's pretty cool if you're interested in Japanese computers and stuff like that. I always love to see more obscure stuff come to Mr. Promote posted a video that talks about how the information contained in schematics helps the core building process. And Promote's videos have been great. I mean, if you're interested in FPGA development, definitely check these out and kind of get some inside info on how this stuff works. Next, Wizzo is planning on making the launching of NFC games work across different platforms. The project is called Tap2 right now, and only the Mr. supported, but more platforms should be planned. Wizzo also looks to be working on creating an NFC reader that works kind of like a PC Engine hue card slot. So I love all of this. This is all very cool. Now you could have some physical ways to launch your software ROMs. Uh, there's been some updates to the Gollum FPGA project, which is the alternate Mr. firmware that's kind of concentrating more on a GUI and ease of use. And it just added support for keyboards and save states, which is really awesome. Save states are not in every core. They're kind of complicated to implement sometimes. So it's, it's kind of neat. Um, I think that this project is one of those things that at the moment it's awesome and I'm kind of looking forward to playing a bit more with it, but I'm really interested to see how it evolves. And it's just one of those things where it's got limitless potential. So I'm going to be watching that one very closely. There's also been an update to the Saturn core that has some game fixes and uh, compatibility increases. I heard not just in Lou's video, but I've been hearing around that people have tried a bunch of different games that didn't work for them before, and they work perfect now, even with only one RAM stick, which is pretty awesome. Uh, if you want to check out progress for the Toki core, you could check out a video from Pixel Cherry Ninja that received, uh, who received a beta and kind of just tries out the core. Robert posted a Patreon article that explains why code cleanup is very important and also posted an image that shows off LOD textures working for the N64 core. I really dig all of Robert's detailed Patreon updates. I'm not smart enough to understand all of it, but I do appreciate it and I've learned so much from him. So that's awesome. Keep them coming. Next game in the Mr. Discord Challenge is Mario Kart Super Circuit for the Game Boy Advance, specifically dual scoreboard time trials on Luigi Circuit and Sky Garden. Uh, Next up is kind of interesting, and I'm really curious to see where this is going to go. The user rule set on the Mr. FPGA forums find a way to use pulse width modulation to make uh, games that really require 24-bit colors kind of look that way on 18-bit color output. So basically, if you're using an analog I.O. board and not direct video or any direct video solution, you can't get 24-bit color as a limitation of the DE10. It's not the Mr. Devs. It's not the hardware manufacturers. It's just kind of the way the DE10 works. So as a result, 
Most cores look fine, but some, like the PlayStation N64 cores, you'll notice some banding in the colors. And the way to get around that up until now was to use direct video. But this is an interesting way that I'm not really sure what the downsides would be if there's any at all, I guess. So if you want to try that now, rule set released forked cores for the N64 and PlayStation, and this would have to be implemented manually in each core. So that's really awesome. I'm not really sure what other cores might be affected, um, but this is definitely something that's certainly worth looking into because if you could increase people's functionality with the hardware they already own, even if it's not 100% as good as 24-bit color, I think that's amazing. So shout out to rule set for doing that. Next up, Mr. Add-ons announced two new I.O. boards. There's no pre-orders yet or anything, though. This is just a product announcement, so we'll come back to that when they're ready. And there's been a whole bunch of other Mr. Updates for a ton of different cores, and then, of course, the main update that I talked about before. So, as usual, if you want more of these details, please check out Lou's video, and please subscribe. There's no way I could keep up with all of this without him, so really appreciate uh, all of the stuff that Lou puts out. So, thanks, Lou, and uh, thanks to everybody who participates in anything Mr. Related, because I'm such a fan of the project and it's so cool to see it grow like this. There's been a pretty major update for the pseudo Saturn Kai software. And while I'll go through some of the updates in a second, I just want to back up for a moment in case anybody is unfamiliar. If you're a user of original Sega Saturn consoles, you can get like a flashed action replay card or a flashed RAM cart. I think most of us are familiar with those red carts. And you could run this software on it as opposed to like the action replay software. And it started out as my favorite way to use backups because you could take unmodified Saturns and as long as this cartridge is plugged in, it'll boot to its menu first and then you could drop a CDR in. So not just CDRs, but other region games and everything. So this was a pretty big deal just for that. But as ODEs have been coming out, it's been adding functionality to support those as uh, through cheat menus, as well as features directly focused on those different ODE solutions. And some of the very impressive stuff that was added with this update is a bunch of cool cheat codes like widescreen support for the first Panzer Dragoon, playing as Tails in Sonic Jam, and forcing Die Hard Arcade into 240p only mode to stop its constant resolution swapping between 480i and 240p. But it also has a new menu for the Satiator and ways to copy saves back and forth between the original Saturn save uh, onboard saves and the Satiators. So this is a pretty big deal to an already amazing piece of free software. If you want all of the details, the Shiro crew always does an amazing job with their posts. So definitely check this out. Um, if you are already uh, using this software, just update. Look at all the cool things that you get. And if you already have the ability to boot CDRs, it's very, very easy to flash and update these. If you don't already have that, you're gonna need some way to get homebrew working on your Saturn in order to flash it yourself. Or maybe you might just have a friend that already has that ability who could do it for you. So thanks very much to the team who's been working on this stuff. And it just software like this is so unbelievably helpful and not just for backups, just for multi-region stuff, cheats, just quality of life things. I mean, it's really important that this is released and I'm very happy and appreciative. So thank you again. Some updates to the Xbox HD 
Eon plug and play adapter for the original Xbox. First of all, if you still have yours and you didn't return it to the store that you bought it from, like I really strongly suggest that you did, then you could either send it back to them now in order for them to swap it out with a working one, or you could contact them and have them walk you through how to update it. But this basically sets the HDMI full limited flag to where it should be. And this is a must do because unless you are a very small percentage of people that have specific setups, this is basically so dark it's unplayable. So you need to do this. I still really think you should just return it to the store you bought it from because it's absolutely overpriced. But if you're stuck with it or for whatever reason you really want these features, then cool. Also, um, strong opinion here. If you happen to have a monitor that defaults to the mode that this would work correctly in, still swap it out or update it so it's correct because you're not going to have that monitor forever. Or what if you have a TV that's very easy to switch HDMI modes? You're not going to have that TV forever. And most TVs, it's a giant pain to switch between HDMI full and limited. It's always a buried menu setting somewhere. So definitely swap it out if necessary. Um, also, Metal Jesus just got the latest revision that has this feature fixed and did an awesome review. In fact, after watching this video, I was relieved because I don't have to do a review anymore. Metal Jesus absolutely nailed it. Yeah, there were some people saying, oh, well, you didn't mention HDMI full limited. <clears throat> doesn't matter. He still talked about the brightness issue. That's what we all see with our eyes. That's not what his audience wants to hear. We want to hear the nerdy details. The general audience just wants to hear when you plug it in, it's not uh, too dark anymore, but it's still overpriced. And, uh, you know, I think he absolutely nailed it. And he also went through one of the cheap, low quality cables on Amazon and gave that a bad review too, which was great. The Electron Shepard one, which I've personally tested, uh, is the one that he recommends. It's the one that I also recommend. I also liked the Chimeric Systems one, but that I don't think is in stock anymore. But both of those are great choices, and they're not expensive. We're not saying, oh, we'll skip those $30 Hyperkin adapters and get a $300 one. No, skip the $30 one and get the $40 one, and you really get what you pay for. So uh, shout out to, to Metal Jesus for, uh, for a great video. I'm definitely going to be pointing people in that direction. But honestly, this thing is just a ripoff. It's 200 bucks for an HDMI splitter that it's kind of neat, but most capture cards have HDMI pass-through and a, a network hub that nobody asked for, nobody needs, and you could buy one for five bucks on Amazon if you really just wanted that functionality anyway. So you're basically, for the price of the Electron Shepherd adapter, a splitter and a hub, you could buy like three of each for this. So I already ranted about this when I first started talking about it, but this is just shameful. What just, what a blatant way to just make the biggest profit margins possible and not even put out the right product at first. So, hey, at least you don't have to worry about Eon going broke though, because now we know what they're going to spend their profit margin on, replacing all of these crappy units that they sent out to people. Before I go, I wanted to give a very quick summary of a live stream that I did continuing my testing with VHS capture. And this one was focused on comb filters. Now, everybody in the industry probably already knows what I'm about to say. And I knew it too, or at least strongly suspected going into this stream, but I'd never seen visual examples before, which I think many of us might be interested in. So I'll give you the short, short version of the stream, which will eventually turn into a detailed fancy video, but I still have more testing to do. I still have to test time-based correction, and that's going to be tricky because I need to find something that's both affordable and available. 
I find some random piece of equipment where there's only two left in the world that's not really going to help people. So it'll be a while before I get there. But here's the quick overview of this. When it comes to VHS, the quality of the content on those tapes, whether it's original tapes or ones that you've recorded, is so lossy that a two-comb filter is all you need, and three-comb filters won't make a difference at all. And that stuff encoded with S-Video, that stuff recorded with composite, it's outputting S-Video, outputting composite, it doesn't matter. It's just such a lossy format that something like one of those IO data capture devices with its two-comb filter would be more than enough to, to handle everything. Now, when you're talking about other composite video sources, such as LaserDisc, then that's when the comb filter really does start to improve. And I showed the differences between LaserDisc outputting composite with a two comb and a three comb filter, and there was a noticeable difference. I also showed DVD just as an example, but you would never do that with DVD. You would just put the, D the disc in your computer and rip it. It's infinitely easier than any of these other methods. However, the LaserDisc thing that I, I always suspected, but I definitely proved out, what if you have a LaserDisc player, like uh, the mine that I've been borrowing from Cousin Scott forever, that has an S-Video output? LaserDiscs are all encoded in composite video, so what is the what does the S-Video out do? And the S-Video output on this one seems to have a two-comb filter built into it, but not a three-comb. So when I put it into that Hawposh capture card that I used that does have the three-comb filter, it looked better outputting composite than it did S-Video. So for captures, you're definitely going to want to use a three-comb filter capture card, or of course the Doomsday Duplicator project, or, or both. I think that's probably the best bet. That way you could get the audio recorded that way too, and you could have an easy copy, a reference copy. It's probably the best way to do it. But if you just wanted this rip too, that would be fine. And I, uh, But if you are doing something like playing it on your TV... Try both and see if one looks better. Maybe your TV, if it's a early 2000 CRT, is going to have a great comb filter built in. Or maybe if not, maybe you have like a late 90s CRT with an S-Video input. Maybe the uh, comb filter built into your LaserDisc player is better than the one in your TV. So S-Video might look better. So that was kind of interesting. And as far as other uses for three comb filters, um, that's definitely going to be something that would vary depending on your source. Maybe something like a Handycam with a composite video output would benefit from that. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe all magnetic tape media is just going to be too messy to benefit from that. I really have no idea. But this focus is on VHS capture with the bonus of like, let's test out a laser disc as well. So that's the basic couple of minute summary. I am going to dig into uh, time-based correction. I'm going to steal uh, the idea from Reasonably British and take a magnet and a VHS tape, like a, a officially store-bought one that's in good condition, wave that magnet over it to cause a bunch of damage, and then try capturing that. I think that would be the best way to create something that needs time-based correction. And once again, I still just want to wait for a couple of things to um, to get to that point. So if you're still capturing, or if you need to capture VHS right now, that IO data thing that I put in the description of the live stream is going to be all that you need, unless you need time-based correction. And that's when I'm going to have to still figure out an easy way to do all this. So if you have time to wait and you're waiting to capture some tapes, definitely hold on. Um, you could still try it through 
the retro tink products the tink 5x has time based a uh, time based correction mode but i wanted to wait to do more tink testing until last for this cuz i just want to try to figure out what's the best method overall and who knows i mean it might be buying the retro tink 4k which sounds ridiculous but those data video time based correctors sell for like $1500 so what would you rather have a tvc that you also need a capture card for or one device that could do it all so I don't know. I'll find out. But hopefully within a month or so, I'll be doing another live stream and then kind of fall back to just doing a summary video on all this stuff. Well, that's it for this time. If you've been watching this on video and not on the audio podcast services, you probably saw that I have the fancy camera broken out this week because I was just using it to shoot some of the me shots for some upcoming videos that I will be releasing. And I'm really excited to get both of these out because they are they were both fun and one of them was a, an insane amount. Well, actually, they're both an insane amount of work. But uh, I just, I'm just really looking forward to getting them out to everybody and hopefully you'll enjoy them. But for now, thank you for watching, listening, playing nicely in the comments, and especially thank you you to anybody who supports in any way possible because it really is you who's keeping all this stuff going so thank you so much and i'll see you next week this week's roundup is brought to you by neo paradigm entertainment connecting southeast asian influencers with opportunities in the west